0: We're in our series called The New Day, and this whole series that we are walking through is all about hope. But here's the kind of hope it is it's a present hope, and it's a hope that is fighting its way up through the reality that we are in, through the struggle that we are in. It is a hope that is pushing its way through. So every tear, every sickness, every loss, the reality is that it is a painful reminder to us that something has gone terribly wrong. Things are not the way they ought to be. And deep down, here's what we all know. We know that there are greener pastures, but we can't seem to find those pastures that we so long for. Essentially what life in this world becomes is fence jumping. We jump from one fence to the next, hoping that the grass is greener on the other side. Hoping that if we could just do this or if we could just get to this place or just do this thing, then everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to get worked out because I'm going to get to the grass that's greener on the other side. But the soft green grass, grass of the pasture we long for, for our toes to just get in that soft grass. We can't seem to find those pastures. So, the question how are we going to find these pastures that we hear rumors about, that we hear whispers about through Scripture, this promise of these green pasture lands of paradise? How will we get there? The answer is by the good shepherd. So here's where we're going today. First thing we're going to go to is our longing for our shepherd. The longing for the shepherd. Second, the coming of the shepherd. And then third, the shepherd's commission to us. So our longing for the good shepherd, the coming of the good shepherd, and then his commission to us. So first, the longing for the shepherd. Jesus tells Peter, feed my sheep tend to them, care for them. Now this implies that we are sheep and sheep, what we know about sheep is that they absolutely need a shepherd. Why do we need a shepherd? Here's why. You think about it like this. We're in this pasture land and off at the distance, there is a forest and there is danger inside of this forest and we can see these evil eyes glowing, watching us as a sheep ready to come out and ready to pounce on us. Here's the reality that we don't want to deal with is that every one of us and every one that we love are in danger, being plucked up by a hungry lion, a hungry bear. Basically, this is evil after us. You need a shepherd to take you on a long and dangerous journey towards the great pasture lands that we so long for deep within us. And here's the thing, here's what we got to realize. If we do not have a shepherd, we are doomed. And back when we were in John chapter 10, a few series back, um, we looked at how we are sheep. And I said something, I said, there is no such thing as a wild sheep because a wild sheep would get devoured. A wild sheep cannot survive on their own. And there was a wise guy here. And he Googled, are there such thing as wild sheep? I won't mention your name, Nilo. And, and this per- so so here's what he did. He Googled wild sheep, he found them, and then he found a wild sheep foundation and he bought me a hat. That says the Wild Sheep Foundation. And then he made me a member of the Wild Sheep Foundation because I said there's no such thing as wild sheep. However, I want to tell you this. If you Google wild sheep, you're gonna find a sheep that's about three times the size of the sheep that you think of. and It's got huge horns coming off of its head that are the size of a grown man's head. So these are the kind of sheep that could go up against a bear. We are not that kind of sheep. That is not what the Bible is trying to communicate to us about who we are and our need for a shepherd. We are the kind of sheep that absolutely need a shepherd because we are in danger without one. We are surrounded by an evil that we cannot see. There's a a guy named Andrew Delbonco. And he writes this book called The Death of Satan. Now, the interesting thing is Andrew Delbanco is an atheist. But he writes a book called The Death of Satan. And here's what he says. Here's his main premise. It's so interesting. He says his main premise is that we have lost the words to describe what we are experiencing. What he says is there is evil There is sin. This is an atheist speaking. There is evil and there is sin. And what we've done is our culture is saying we need to remove these words. We need to call these words myths. This is not real. And what he's saying is essentially we are like sheep and we are pretending like there is no forest line. We are pretending like there's nothing deep in the forest that wants us, that is after us. And he says this is the biggest mistake that we could be making because there is evil and it is after us. He's saying we've got to learn to deal with this reality because we're blinding our eyes to it and it's making us think we don't need a shepherd. Evil is real. It has a leader. The Bible has given him a name, Satan. And he's a trickster. And he's after you and he's after those that you See, and if you don't have a shepherd, he chases you down in the open field. And if you do have one, he tries to lure you into the forest very secretly. He's trying to lure you away from God by whispering these lies to you that maybe he's lying to you about this. Maybe he's saying that you are better off without God. Or maybe he's saying God is better off without you. Or he's whispering this to you You're a sinner. God would never forgive you. See, this is the thing about tricksters, partial truths. You need forgiveness. Okay, true, but God would never give that to you. Or maybe you're thinking, yeah, sure, there is a God, half truth, but he cares nothing for us. He just created the world and he walked away. He doesn't, he's not involved with us. He doesn't care about us. He just kind of spun things into motion and just let things play out. It's a trick. Or maybe he tricks you into thinking something is wrong with the world, which is true. But it's God's fault. That's what he did in the beginning. Now, listen, look, whatever you want to say about the apple, about the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, listen, the point is this. Evil comes in and says, you're better off. Do you know why God doesn't want you to eat of this apple? Because you're gonna, he doesn't want you to be like him. That's the lie. Here's the thing. We were made in his image. We rebelled from him. And then we fall from that image. And then here's what happens. Everything falls apart. The wreckage begins. That's why you have a longing and a desire for another world because this is not the world that you are made for. So the curse and the virus and the sickness infected us and infected our world and that's why we can't seem to find the green pastures because listen, listen, listen. The green pastures are not here. This is the reality. We've already been lured into the forest, unable to get out. Our world, our world has become this big, angry forest. And we're in need of a shepherd to come and get us out, to leave the green. This is what he does. he leave the green pastures of heaven to come into the forest, to come and get us and rescue us from the evil that has overtaken us so that he might bring us back home. Second point, the shepherd has come. Jesus calls his people his sheep. He's a shepherd who protects the sheep. So here's the question. Has he failed us then? That's the question. Has, has he failed us? And the answer is no. We've actually run from him. We have left him. But he has said, I'm coming back for you. And I'm going to bring you back home. I'm going to pursue you as you leave me. I'm running after you. I'm running in the forest. I'm coming to get you. And I'm coming to bring you back to the place where you were made for. Our situation, listen, listen, our situation is that evil has lured us in to this forest. And here's what happens to us. Deep inside of every single one of you, you want to get out of this forest. You want to get into the pasture lands of heaven, but yet at the same time, you want to stay in the forest. Because the the sin, the way, the the living, it it has an allure to it. The trickery makes you long for the green pastures, and here's what happens. So you're in this forest, you long for the green pastures, that's our situation in this world, and so we say, let me find the green pastures, and so we jump after fence after fence, and what it's doing is it's actually bringing us deeper and deeper into the forest. This is, let me give you a definition of sin. Sin is looking for the pasture lands of heaven in the things of the world. You want the pasture lands. But you're tricked into thinking that every single sin is going to give you the pleasures that only heaven can give you. This is our great problem. And the sin never delivers. So the question then now, okay, well, why in the world... If we are seeking after heaven in the pasture lands of heaven, why in the world do we only as we're chasing after this pasture land? Why in the world are we only getting further and further and further away? Because we don't have a shepherd. You think about it like this. The forest is like quicksand. And the more you struggle to get out of the forest, the deeper into it you become. We're, we are desperate to leave a place that we are stuck in. We're being swallowed up by this forest of death. But, 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 there's a big but here with one T. <laughs> the but is that the shepherd has come. So John chapter 10 says, He lays down his life for his sheep. There's a great cost for the shepherd to get you out of the forest. And it is his life, the life of God, the life of the son of God has given his life for you. It cost him so much. But here's the thing, only he could break the grip that the forest has on you. Because only he could die and then break through it. See, the quicksand, you think about the quicksand, the quicksand took him. And we're stuck in that quicksand. He jumps in and the quicksand takes him. Yet at the bottom, he bursts up out of it and brings us with him who could not get out of it ourselves. That's what he does. He breaks us up out of it. Or it's another way to think about it. There's this chasm. So we're in this forest, and we're looking upon the green pastures of heaven, and we long to get there. Here's the problem. There is a chasm that is keeping us out. And you can't break through this chasm. So you think about the green pasture lands. The green pasture lands are the place where everything is perfect, everything is right. And so we've got the things that we know we keep doing that we shouldn't be doing. If we long for a perfect world, yet we are not perfect, how will we enter into it? See, this is the great problem that humanity has. And so here's where the cross comes in. He comes into the forest, goes to the tree of death, the cross, and here's what happens. He takes your sin, puts it upon himself, and then on this tree of death, he dies, holding your sin. And and evil thinks it has just killed the Son of God. But the great trickster has been tricked. Because here's what happens. When Jesus goes upon the cross, bearing your sin, and he is struck down, your sin is struck down with him everything that kept you out of the green pastures has now been dealt with. So the chasm is removed and you simply run in. Nothing keeps you out because you have a great shepherd. But it's even more than this. Not only is he a good shepherd who dies for you, but he is a good shepherd who lives for you. He is a resurrected shepherd. He is a victorious fighter. What you have to understand is that life in this world is a forest. You are deep in the forest. And heaven is secured for you in Christ, yet you are still in the forest. The green pastures are yours, yet you are still here in the forest. But when the great resurrected shepherd takes hold of you here's what happens a great reversal begins where before all you could do was get deeper and deeper into the forest he begins to reverse everything because he is fighting for you he is the risen king shepherd who fights before you in front of you here's what you got to know He's fighting for you so that he might one day, even in the forest, he brings you to the forest line so that you can gaze upon the heavenly pastures while still in the forest knowing that's where I'm going one day. And it's as if the closer you get to this forest, to this this pasture land, the more you can smell the aromas of heaven even now. And what happens is you become more and more and more of who you're made to become when you live in those green pasture lands. The same power that broke through death is fighting for you. Fighting to make you more and more into who you are made to one day become. And he has a staff with him, fighting for you. And whenever there is evil tempting you, he knocks it to oblivion or he redirects you. Or if you fall into that temptation, maybe sometimes he gives you a little bop on the head in the most loving way possible. The Christian in this world, this is the great tension we live in. The Christian in this world is moving towards the green pastures, yet still in the forest. And the closer you walk to Christ, the closer you become to this green pasture. See, you have have worlds fighting. And one world is fighting for you, and the other world is fighting against you. And that's why sometimes people become Christians and life gets harder. Temptation feels stronger, life gets more difficult. It's because you're in the forest with the mark of Christ upon you. But don't fret, he is fighting for you and he will not lose You know, in the past, the types of sermons I loved to listen to were ones that reminded me of how the shepherd has laid down his life for my sins. I felt the weight of my sin, and then I felt grace, and those were the sermons I needed. But now, things are going on in my life, things are going on with my son, and what I want right now, the types of sermons I'm drawn to, are the ones that remind me that I have a resurrected Savior shepherd who is fighting for me and who is fighting for my family. He's leading us through the forest right now. If life is going good, the parts of the shepherd that you cling to are the ways that he has given his life for your sins. In a way, the sermons that you are drawn to when life is going good is how he has saved you from yourself. But when life is hard, when you are so aware of how fragile you are, when you are so aware that there is so, listen, when you are so aware of how much there is to fear in this forest, when you become aware of that, you need to be reminded of a resurrected Savior who's fighting for you and who's fighting for the ones that you love. Think about your loved ones right now. Think about them okay, here's what we want to do. We want to hold them so tight. And do you know what what we ought to be doing? This is something we've learned to do recently. As we've learned to take our son Cruz, who's going through medical stuff, medical issues right now, and we have taken him and we have taken him out of our grip and we have given him to the resurrected shepherd who fights for him and cares for him far better than we can. There's no better place for him to be than in the arms of his resurrected Savior, Shepherd. And so we have to take our grip off of him and give him to the one who can care for him far better than we can. Let me say this as simple as possible. As the shepherd, he lays down his life to save you from yourself and from your sins. And as the shepherd, he is risen so that he might fight for you. You know, we tend here's what we tend to do. We think of Christianity, we think of Jesus, we think of him as a shepherd. We tend to focus on just simply one area. We we focus on the area of how he is fighting against evil for us. But here's the question: if he's only fighting against evil, what are you gonna do about your sins? And if he has only defeated and taken down your sins and dealt with the problem of sin, what are you going to do about the evil that stands before you? But he is both. You need comfort from your sins? Go to him. You need someone who's fighting for you? Go to him. And in fact, he will take the struggles that you walk through now And will use those struggles to change you more and more into who you're made to become. And he will use those struggles to bring you closer and closer to the edge of that forest line. So you can gaze upon the heavenly pastures of paradise that you are made for. That's all your struggles can do to you if you have this shepherd. They just bring you closer and closer to paradise. They hurt but that's all that can happen. And, oh man, if you can catch this, if you can catch this last point, how the shepherd commissions us, listen, as your shepherd, he has a purpose for you to do while you are in the forest. In fact, some of the most important work you will ever do for all of eternity is meant to happen right here and right now. Don't waste your life while you're in the forest. There's some tremendous opportunity for you right here. Okay, so this is the third point, the shepherd's commissioning. So Peter has experienced everything that we've just said about Jesus. He's experienced him in every way as a shepherd. And and Jesus says, okay, now that you know me, I've got some work for you to do. I have a purpose, and it's so important. Here's what he says to Peter. Hey, Peter, you know these sheep that I love so much. You know my people that I love so much. You know the ones that I have died for. You know the ones that I gave everything for. I want you to go and shepherd them. Oh, man. What an what honor and a privilege for Peter to have been given this gift from Jesus, to go and Take care of the people that Jesus loves so much that he's given his life for them. Can you imagine God calling you to that? Well, I hope you can because he's done it. Every single one, every single one who says, Jesus, you are my shepherd, he says to you, well, good, that's good news for you. Now I've got some work for you to do. I've got some people that I want you to shepherd now. So the question is for every single one of you who say, "Oh yes, Jesus is my shepherd." The question for every single one of you is, "Who has He called you to shepherd?" It's easy. Here's here's, what you, here's the questions you got to answer. Who do you feel responsible to? Maybe it's your family, your kids your spouse, your brother, your sister, maybe the care of your parents. Maybe you own a business and owning a business is not just about making money, but it's about caring for the people who are under your care, shepherding them. Or maybe you're a teacher and you've got all of these students under your care. You say, oh man, I've been called to shepherd these little ones. And I know if you work in a public school, that's hard. Well, how do I do that? How do I shepherd them to the greater shepherd? Well, we've got a lot of teachers. I think we could put our minds to this and start figuring out what is the calling to to teachers in our area about how they ought to be, how we ought to, all teachers ought to be shepherding their kids to Christ. Or maybe you're a firefighter. The city's under your care. And you have opportunities to shepherd people in the city that you come across to Christ. And, husbands, you have a calling to shepherd your family. And I got to tell you that typically what happens is this becomes the role of the wife and the mom. Husbands, we are being called to spiritually shepherd our families. Or maybe you're just in some type of leadership position here. Maybe you lead a discipleship group. Maybe you're helping to serve. Maybe you help with Grove kids. You've been called a shepherd. And all throughout the Bible, there's example after example after example of people that have been called to shepherd God's people and they have neglected the calling and it has gone to the detriment of God's people. Don't neglect your calling. All of us. And then perhaps right now, you're saying, how could that be? Because I am too aware of my sin to feel like I could be called to shepherd people. I feel too much like a failure. Look at Peter. So Peter, just days earlier, has denied Jesus three times. And then Jesus is like a wise guy, says, Peter, do you love me? Three times. Paul calls himself Paul, who has written almost half of the New Testament or more, has called himself the chief of all sinners, yet he becomes one of the greatest shepherds the world has ever known. In fact what it seems is that the pre and not, not what it seems what it is is that the prerequisite to shepherding people is to become awareness to become aware of your own sin of your own failure and your own weakness the best shepherds are the ones that are aware of their own weakness because it's in their weakness that they say, how in the world am I gonna do this? And then they follow closely after the chief shepherd and then by doing that, they're able to bring others along with them to meet with the chief shepherd. It's a leading out of our weakness, not our strength, that makes us good shepherds. This is not easy, but it's worth the cost the same way it was worth the cost for Christ to come as your shepherd. And the way you do this is simply by taking those that you are called to shepherd to the chief shepherd, the one who for you came, the one who came and left the pasture lands of heaven to pursue you and give his life on the cross for you, to rescue you from sin and from death, and then who rose up out of the grave to fight as your victorious shepherd, to fight anything that stands between you and him. Go to him now, and he will bring you to the edge of the forest. And then you will begin more and more to gaze upon the pasture lands of heaven that one day you will be running in with your shepherd forever.